Tonight we look at the shoes of peace in the scope of the whole armor of God and how we can see this piece being used in the Bible. If you're up on Facebook, you saw the little review I gave. But I have heard teaching in the past and even went over some current teachings on them. But most of these seem to duplicate the purpose of either the breastplate or the shield. And so we want to... Uh, look at this in a way that it doesn't duplicate something that another piece of armor is already doing because I don't think Paul has that idea when he brings this all together. I think he's got seven distinct pieces of the armor and if you go through and you come read that list and you don't come up with seven, you will by the time we get finished. So anyway, that's what took me an extra week to get to the bottom of. I think I have and if you all have any um, differing opinions or comments to make at the end. Love to hear them, even those that are online. In the past weeks looking at this, we saw the first off, the belt of truth. Looked at what battles may have been lost because we left the truth. There were opportunities to turn some someone lost to God, and we looked at examples of these things in Scripture. Influenced people, businesses, institutions, or governments because we compromised or force darkness into exposure because we're making it step into the light. Last week, last time, we were looking at the breastplate of righteousness. We saw the breastplate of righteousness will keep us from self-righteousness, from unforgiveness, from unanswered prayer, from not acting on your righteous stand founded in Jesus' works, and from, and from being shaken from your authority and right to use the name of Jesus. Also, from thinking something is not working because of something that you did. Spiritual warfare is against spiritual powers, using people, thoughts, and natural things. So people will act up, and the enemy will sow thoughts of offense, resulting in unforgiveness in us. In us. Natural things that you don't understand can pave the way for thoughts, judging the motives of God and others, and bringing, bringing judgment upon me. People deceiving you into the wrong kind of righteousness as well as, uh, as was done, I'm sorry, with the saints in Galatia. And natural things that don't seem to listen to my authority in Jesus bringing me to question my righteous standing. Best example, of course, for this, the uh, breastplate of righteousness was over in Numbers 22, 23, and 24 in the story of Balaam and Balak. Balaam could not curse them, but his counsel helped remove the righteousness they walked in. We also looked at Hezekiah and Sennacherib in Isaiah 36, 1 through 10, but I think the best example was in Balak, I'm sorry, in uh, Balaam, because Israel didn't even not, did not even know they were under attack, and the attack couldn't get to them because of the breastplate of righteousness that was upon them. Later on, the council removed that righteousness from them, and that's when the enemy was able to get in. So that's our first two. Let's read over the whole text of the armor of God here in Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the verses we've covered so far. In this one, it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the word here, shod, means to tie or to bind up. It's only used three times in Scripture. Every time it's used regarding sandals. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 9, but to wear sandals, the word wear there is this word to bind on. In Acts 12, 8, then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And that word tie on is our same word that is here. This is always used in the New Testament with sandals because the way they did their sandals they had to tie them on and so they would wrap around a little bit more we have some shoes that you don't necessarily have to tie on you can slip on you can do other things but their sandals or their their shoes they were tied on and some like the roman soldiers they were tied on a little bit more elaborately than some of the other shoes and certainly some of the sandals that were out there the word here, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the word here for gospel is a very familiar word. Uh, the word itself may not be familiar, but you're used to it in the English. And that is euangelion. It is a good message, I'm sorry, it is a good message or the gospel. Now in the Greek, when you get two G's together, you get an N in there. And uh, they didn't necessarily put that in the English transliteration. I should have uh, corrected that for them. But I did, uh, didn't think of that carrying it over. But you'll get an NG sound when you get two, two uh, Gs put together. Uh, always is that way. Whenever you see two Gs, that's how it is pronounced. Euangelion. A good message or the gospel. This is used 77 times in the Word of God. In those usage... Matthew uses it four times, Mark uses it eight times, Acts uses it twice, 1 Peter uses it once, and Revelation uses it once. That's a total of 16 times. That leaves the remaining 61 times all used by the same author. You could probably guess who it is. That would be Paul. Paul uses this word 61 times in his letters to the church. It is used for the good news of the kingdom of God and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what this word gospel is. The word peace has several meanings. And I copied them from uh, one of the, um, uh, well, it's a Greek dictionary, basically. But I copied them from there. It is a state, first off, now you don't have to copy all these down. There's only a couple that are really significant for our meaning here but the first one is a state of national tranquility basically exempt from the rage of havoc or war that's what uh, the first meaning is now we don't see that meaning here a second one would be peace between individuals harmony uh, peace with god things like this this is one of those meanings that some people will bring into the shoes of peace peace between individuals or peace between us and God. A third meaning is security, safety, prosperity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. That is the third meaning. 
Don't see much of that here. The fourth is the peace of the or the Messiah's peace, which will be coming but is not yet. The fifth is the way that leads to peace or salvation. The sixth is stable peace or the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot or whatsoever sort that is. The seventh is the blessed state of devout and upright men after death. Now we're not talking about the seventh. The... uh Best we could, uh, well, the, the things I've seen and the things that people have taught so far on this is the second meaning, which is peace between individuals, the fifth meaning, the way that leads to peace or salvation, and the sixth, the peace, stable peace or a tranquil state of mind or state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. Now, with these meanings and when the way pe- people teach on the, this piece of armor, it is understood in two main ways. First, a foundation of peace with God, such as the gospel teaches. A foundation of peace with God, such as the gospel teaches. So that we have peace with God, and because of that peace with God, we can make a stand. And they, they of course, look at the shoes being part of the stand. Uh, that, to me, too much mimics the breastplate of righteousness. That's really what the breastplate of righteousness would do. Why would Paul a whole nother piece of armor to do something that the breastplate of righteousness is already doing. So I have a trouble with that, that particular one. The second one is a peaceful mind free of worry, fear, and anxiety, even aggressive peace. Now, since one of the things that the enemy does in spiritual warfare is attack our mind, put in thoughts, uh, cause us to doubt, you could see where this could be one of those things, but this is going to duplicate too much in the shield of faith that's going to be coming up, which has happened to me next week. So I don't see that duplication being there. This has to be something different from what the other ones are. Now there's no other way that I can see to understand the shield of faith. So that one seems to be locked in. And it even says right there in the, in the passage that uh, we're able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Those are the things, the thoughts that he's going to be throwing. So that one directly seems to, to battle that aspect. So I struggle with these two particular things. Now, I listened to Brother Rick Renner on the topic, and I do love Brother Rick Renner, but in listening to his teaching on it, I learned more about the piece of armor of the Roman soldier than I did about what this piece is actually supposed to do in spiritual warfare. So that wasn't uh, all that, that helpful. So I was spending time in this to try and say, first off, let's take a look at spiritual warfare and what's going on in the battle, what's going on in the Word, what, can, what other things can we see that's being done, and breaking down this verse of Scripture so that I could understand it. There needs to be something that would be unique, that would fit Paul's description. It has to fit Paul's description. It can't just be something unique. It has to actually fit in with Paul, what Paul is doing. So I spent a good bit of time to try and understand the words that were in here, how they were used throughout the Word, and just reading over things and meditating on this and uh, came about five o'clock last last week and I just didn't feel like I was there. And I'd rather not teach you something that I'm not sure of. I don't like doing that. I want to be sure that this is the direction. Now, it might be, you know, five, ten years from now, I may change my viewpoint on it completely. <laughs> that can certainly happen. 
But I don't want to get up and teach you something that, all right, this is what has been taught, but I'm not quite so sure that this is what it is. I'd rather be sure. So that's why we went ahead and uh, postponed to this particular Wednesday night. So let's read this again. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the thing here is, and these are, this is often called the shoes of peace, but actually if you read that closely, and I was reading as closely as I could over and over, it does not seem to be the, the shoes of peace. It seems to be the shoes of preparation. Because he says, having shod your feet with the preparation. So for me, the word preparation is one of the key words here that we have to understand. Now, we haven't broken down that word yet. And there's some problems with breaking down that word. But having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he's not just saying preparation. He's talking about a specific kind of preparation. The preparation of the gospel of peace. So, this word preparation is the Greek word hestoimesia. Hestoimesia. There is an H there that you will not see in the Greek, but it comes because of the breathing mark. Hetomosia. The act of, it means the act of preparing the condition of a person or thing so far as being prepared, preparedness, or readiness. It means to make ready, to prepare, to make the necessary preparations for getting everything ready. Metaphorically, it means to prepare the minds of men to give the Messiah a fit reception and secure his blessing. Now here's the problem with understanding this word. It's used once in the New Testament, which is the verse in before us. So it's used one time. It's not even used very often in the Septuagint. And so it's hard to even go there and get a, a, a feel for this. So what I did was I went to the root of the word. And the root for this word is hetoimazo, which is used 40 times in Scripture. So we can get a little better use, a better idea of the root to understand what this particular word is, is meaning. So I wrote down some of the references of the 40 times. I'm not going to read over all 40, but I'm going to read you some of them so you get an idea because to me this is a, this is a key one here. If you uh, are, like to follow along with the Greek that I put in there, I think I, I wrote that. Let me just see if I... Yeah, I did, I did have that in there. Yep. Yeah, I didn't see that uh, in the conversion that I left an, an extra Omicron in there, but there at the end of the, the word, you will see an O and a W. That's what they look like in the English, and just scratch out that O because there is no Omicron. But sometimes the trends, um, sometimes the letters you put in, in the uh, Greek text or Greek font that I use, I sometimes get the wrong one in there. But it is supposed to be the Omicron, which is the long O. But let's take a look at some of the places where this is used. Matthew 3 and verse 3. For this he who was spoken of by the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now we know this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was to come and to prepare the way of the Lord. That meant that he had to come in and he was to do some things before the ministry of Jesus started. 
which he did do because he had his own disciples before Jesus had started his ministry. He was already known before Jesus started his ministry. He was already calling out sin in the land before Jesus started his ministry. He was already starting to baptize people before Jesus started his ministry. So that had been going on for quite some time before Jesus began his ministry in preparation. So he was making ready the arrival of Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. In Matthew 20, in verse 23, So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. So there's a, a seat on the right and on the left that God has prepared. He's made ready. That took some... He's, he's already made it ready. You do this ahead of time. You don't do this in the instant you need it. It is a preparation. In Matthew 22 and verse 4, again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. So there's a, a meal plan. Now you all know from making a, a meal, it doesn't just happen. We can. We had the day of fast food. You can go out to Popeyes and and order yourself a fried chicken dinner, and bring it on home. And uh, but you didn't actually do any of the preparation. Somebody else did. You just went out and picked it up. But if you're going to prepare a meal at home, that involves going to the store and making sure that you have the necessary ingredients. That you have the meat that you want. That you have the vegetables that you want. That you have the bread that you want. You have all the ingredients to add to them, to spice them up, to fix them up. All those things have to be done. You have to start ahead of time. You have to plan out, well, how long is this going to take to cook? If you're planning out like a Christmas or a Thanksgiving dinner and you have a big bird that you're going to be cooking, you know how many hours it takes to cook that bird and when you have to put it in so that it comes out at the time that you want it to come out so you can carve it up and fix it up and do all the things that you want to do. This all takes preparation. It doesn't just happen. Then the king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, there, this is prepared before the foundation of the world. That's a long time. God had made this ready. He had prepared this for, for these people that he's speaking of here. Consequently, in verse 41, he talks about those in, uh, on the other side. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This wasn't prepared for them. This was prepared for the devils and his angels. But since they followed in the way that they went, they went to the place that was prepared for them. Matthew twenty six seventeen. Now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? So they're going to make preparations for the Passover. John 14, 2. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he left to prepare. Now that was a lot of years ago that he did that. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. He has made ready for those who love him. 
2 Timothy 2 and 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. These things, if you will do these, if you will cleanse yourself from these things, there will be preparations that will be made in doing so that will make you ready for every good work. Even in Revelation, you're going to see this in verse 7 of chapter 9, the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. Now, horses are not born to be are prepared for battle. You have to do some things. You've got to put some armor on them. You've got to do some things to get them ready. There's some training they have to go through. Otherwise, the battle would scare them. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. God had prepared these angels. There had been, or there, I'm sorry, there had been preparations for these four angels. They had been prepared for this day, this hour, this month, and this year. Whether God did it or Satan did it, since they're under his, his uh, charge. Revelations 12:6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that she, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. One more in Revelations 19:7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. So these are all verses that are there, and I could read over the rest of the 40. A lot of them. They come from the Gospels, and the Gospel uses the same word in each of the four Gospels where that story is covered to cover many of the same things that I already told you, so you'll see some duplication in there. But this word is used constantly. You don't see it for any other word, any other way. It's for preparations that you do ahead of time to get ready for an event that is coming. It is an event that is known to be coming. Because the event is known to be coming, you make preparations to get ready for when that event will get here. Every single one of these things where you see this word used, the event is coming. It is known when it was coming, or at least about when it was coming. And preparations were made for when it would get here. This is what this word is constantly used for. So since the root word is constantly used for that, we can understand that, the, uh, that this particular word would also be in the same area. So let's read it again. And having shod your feet with the preparation or the readiness of the gospel of peace. So the preparation is something that we're doing. We know something is coming. And so we have made preparation for this particular thing. So in shodding your feet... Or when you strap on the shoes, that is speaking about a preparation that you do. Preparation of the gospel of peace. Now one of the things that, one of the verses I did look at, one of the ways I was looking at that is you will see this phrase, gospel of peace. But you also see a, a phrase you may be familiar with, the God of peace. One in particular was of interest and I spent some time looking at that to see if there was any correlation to this. That the God of peace will trample Satan under your feet. I thought, well, that is interesting. We got the God of peace, and we got the trampling and the feet. But it seemed to go a different direction with this one. So just want to let you know, that's one of the verses I was spending some time on, along with all the others, on the... Uh, 
the God of peace. In fact, I wrote down all the verses about the God of peace and meditated on them for a while to see if that was something that was, was going to go. But how would one be made ready? So I, this is your, I guess there are some blanks there. This uh, speaks of getting oneself ready for a particular use or purpose, in this case, the gospel. There is a preparation for the gospel or the gospel of peace. Let's read that over again. And having shod your feet with the preparation or the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel there, the gospel of peace, this is a gospel... The word gospel is used of the, what we call the gospel, the uh, message of salvation. Paul uses it 61 times in all his letters referring to the message of salvation, the work that Jesus did on the cross to bring us to God and to make peace between us and God. And the purpose was to go on out and let people know God is not at war with us, God is at peace with us if you accept the work that His Son has done in Jesus. If you will accept that work, there will be peace with God. So the gospel of peace is the gospel that speaks about peace between us and God. So that when we die, we know we're not going to face a God who's against us. We're going to face a God who is welcoming to us because there is peace between us and God. That is the gospel. How do we get made ready for this? In 2 Timothy 4 Verses 1 through 5, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be prepared, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions to the work, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So in this preparation, you need to be ready in season and out of season. Whether you think it's a season for this thing to be done or not, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to convince. You need to be ready to rebuke. You need to be ready to exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You need to be ready to be long suffering. You need to prepare yourself for that. That there's going to be some people that you're going to minister the gospel of peace to that you're going to have to suffer along with, just like Jesus did. You're going to have to be ready to teach them. You may say, well, you should know this. Well, no, you need to be ready to teach them. And he says, for the time will come. You need to get ready for this. The time will come when they will not endorse sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Get ready for this. This is what's going to come. And be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is one way we can be made ready. We need to be made ready to go out and to preach the gospel. Titus 2, 11 through 15, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, 
and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for God, I'm sorry, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Speak these things. So these are the things you are to speak. If in speaking these things, it prepares people, it gets people ready. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. This is words about preparation, about going out and speaking the things of the truth, speaking the things of the word, preaching the gospel. In Romans 10, 1 through 15, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's pretty blunt right there. That's my, that's my desire. That's my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they have a zeal for God, but they're not according to the knowledge of the gospel. Not according to the knowledge that is through Jesus Christ. They don't have that knowledge. For they be ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So because they're ignorant of the things of Jesus, or they have hardened their heart to the things of Jesus, because they're not going in that particular direction, they're going after a direction to try and get self-righteousness, or righteousness that is of the law, or righteousness that is of being good enough. And he's saying that's not going to cut it for them. They have a zeal for God, but it's not the zeal that's going to bring anything because it's not according to knowledge, not according to correct knowledge. And they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if they would just believe in Christ, they would get the end of that righteousness. But they won't do that. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There will be peace between you and God. There will be, there's the gospel of peace. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I forget who it was, someone I was listening to, was saying that the word of God does not tell you that the people come to a belief in the word of God because the, the Bibles are sent out. Because sometimes people want to say, well, all we need to do is print more Bibles and send Bibles out and people will get saved. It doesn't say send out more Bibles. It says send out what? Send out preachers. Men, women that will preach in the name of, of God. And that's not just five-fold preachers, but it's pretty much anybody who will pick up the, the task of preaching. 
And here he says in this one, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the what? Who's writing this? Paul. Paul is saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. If you're going to preach the gospel of peace, which, what must you do? You need to prepare. You need to know with the right knowledge what the gospel of peace is because he just said in this passage that they don't believe, they don't have the right knowledge. They, they have a zeal for God, but they don't have the right knowledge. Just because you have a zeal for God doesn't mean that you would preach the gospel of peace. You may preach, preach a wrong gospel. Just like Apollos went out. He preached the wrong gospel, but he preached what he knew. And so they took him aside and they said, look, this is the way of Jesus. And once he got that, and he went out there and he preached that message. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That is a direct quote of Isaiah 52 in verse 7. But there's also Nahum 1 and 15, which reads this way, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Very similar, but what he is quoting comes directly from Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Now the purpose of Satan's kingdom is to bring people into darkness. Isn't that the purpose of, the, of Satan's kingdom? It is a kingdom of darkness. It is to bring people into the realm of darkness. It is to bring people into a realm of deception. It is to keep people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to cause people to not have faith in the name of Jesus, to not have faith in the work of Jesus, to not have faith that Jesus even came, or that Jesus was the Son of God, or that they're... Um, whole idea of Jesus' righteousness is, is hogwash. This is what the kingdom of, of Satan wants to do. And it wants you to think that you don't need what Christ did. You need to do some things on your own. And so it gets us people into a works righteousness. I don't care that you pursue God, Satan's kingdom would say. <coughs> Satan's kingdom would say. <coughs> I care that you don't pursue him correctly. And so darkness comes in <clears throat> to try and get people to pursue a wrong direction, a wrong way of receiving righteousness. So it's called the kingdom of darkness because darkness is what is brought upon. Well, what is God's kingdom called? It is called the kingdom of light. The purpose of the kingdom of God is to bring people into light. So how could we fight this battle without shoes like this? How can you fight a, a spiritual battle against the kingdom of darkness if you do not have shoes that are the preparation of the gospel of peace? Not shoes of peace, but shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. That we go out and our, our shoes, our feet take us to places where the gospel is needed. Now, that's the teaching part of it, let's take a look at this in battle. Because I want to see this in battle. I want to see this being used. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and was poured out upon the, the disciples, around, upon the people that were in the upper room, around all the believers that were in that upper room, when the Spirit of God came down upon them. Do you remember what happened? In Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 39, I'm going to read this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is Peter preaching. I'm only taking part of what he's saying. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. That means they were going in a particular direction. And Peter came and preached the gospel to them. They saw the direction that we are going is wrong. We have crucified Jesus Christ. We shouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ. What are we to do now? Verse 38, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter that you were there crucifying Jesus. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Receive the work of Jesus Christ in your life. If you receive, you repent of what you did against the Son of God and receive the work that Jesus did on the cross, that's what we need to do. They said, what can we do? What can we do? They were cut to the heart. Peter came out under the unction of the Holy Spirit and he preached the gospel. Now the devil had brought these people into a place of bondage so much so that they crucified the one who was sent to them to help them. They crucified the one who had healed their sick. They crucified the one who had preached to them light. They crucified the one they said he teaches us with authority. All these things had gone on and they crucified him because of the darkness that they had been put under. Peter comes out and he proclaims this light. They see it and they change. Is this combating the kingdom of darkness? I can't think of any way that is better. To me, the shoes of peace are the most offensive weapon in our arsenal. Not the sword. The shoes of peace. Now, if you heard Rick Renner on this, you'll and you hear the description of the Roman soldier, you will see he calls them the shoes that kill, or killer shoes, I think he calls them, uh, because of the spikes and all the, the things that are on them. They can trample somebody and, and kill them. There are spikes that they could kick someone and, and, uh, and hurt them. Um, so he shows them as a very aggressive weapon. But we're going to look at some more examples of this, but you're going to see that the gospel of peace is used as a very aggressive weapon against the kingdom of darkness. In fact, this is your go-to weapon against the kingdom of darkness. It is not something about peace in your mind. It is not something about your right standing with God. You have that with the breastplate of righteousness. You have the, that, uh, that right standing with God. The shield of faith coming up next week, that's going to help you in your mind area, keeping the, those thoughts uh, uh, undone. Now, Paul would preach the gospel in every city he, would send, he was sent to. This is what he would do. And how much did the devil like that? Oh, he hated it. He had people that would come in and stir up riots because of what Paul was doing. Would you say, based upon the reception that Paul got and the spiritual forces that were stirred up whenever Paul would come in, riots in the cities, people coming after him, 
people trying to kill him, would you say that what he was doing was very disturbing to the spiritual forces? So this would seem to be a weapon, wouldn't it? All right, let's read this one. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he... This is the calling of Paul when he was... Uh, uh, when Ananias um, uh, was sent to him. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. He will bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That's the order he went in. He went to the Gentiles, he went to the kings... And he went to the uh, children of Israel. But when he went to them, he preached the name of Jesus. He preached what Jesus did at the cross. He preached what Jesus did to bring peace between God and man. That Jesus bridged the gap. That Jesus' righteousness is all we need to wear. This is what he preached. He went in there and he preached these things. This is why he looks at this as the shoes of peace. Wherever he would go, he'd go into a new city, he would preach the gospel of peace to them. That there was peace between us and God because of what Jesus did. A spiritual warfare came onto the seas and it shipwrecked his, his boat. He was marooned on an island. What did he do when he got marooned on, an, on the island? He preached the gospel. In fact, it even says they had a healing meeting. And they, after a few people were healed, they started bringing people all over the island in there to, to, for him to minister to. And In fact, it had changed the attitude of the people so much so that uh, they brought offerings and they brought gifts and they made sure that everything that Paul needed was supplied before he left that island. But he wanted and he preached the gospel. The devil was trying to kill him. He got shipwrecked and marooned on this island and he ended up preaching the gospel and making a, a significant change in the hold that Satan's kingdom had on that island. Now Peter did the same when he had this vision, and that vision sent him to the Gentiles, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 43, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. What is that? That's the gospel of peace. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Him. And we are witnesses of all things which He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God. Even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that though his that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's the gospel of peace. And this is what they were to go off and to do. Peter opened his mouth. 
This is when they had that, he had that vision. And God said, go with these men. And so he went with the men. That vision, of course, was the tarp that came down and all the unclean animals on it. And God said, arise, kill and eat. And you know the discussion that Peter had with God? But when he got there, these are the words that came out of his mouth. You remember the, the story? We spent some time on it before. Peter gets there and says, hey, I'm here. What did you want me to say? What questions did you have? And they said, we didn't have any questions. Uh, we wanted you to come because we knew God would give you something to say to us. They're stuck. Peter's there. He thought one thing was going to happen. It didn't happen. And he opened his mouth, it said, and he spoke. And these are, this is what came out. God filled his mouth and spoke about the gospel of peace to these people. So what weapon is more offensive in combating the enemy than preaching and being a witness of the gospel of peace? Every place that Paul went, he would smash the, the enemy by bringing this in because their gods were not, a, were not gods of peace. Those gods were gods that were angry with men. He had to do things to get them to be happy with you. But Paul would come in. Peter would come in. John would come in. All the other disciples, they would go into the place they were at and they would preach this thing. Now remember, what is the Great Commission? How could the Great Commission be missing from the spiritual armor? If that's the last things that God said to do, how could that be missing from the spiritual armor? In Matthew 28, let's read over the Great Commission. It's in two places. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here in the Great Commission, he starts off first, All authority has been given to me. Therefore you go, because he's sending them in his name. If they're going to go in his name, they have his authority. Authority over what? Authority over demon spirits. Authority over principalities. Authority over powers. This is what you have through the name of Jesus. Wouldn't that not, would that not be spiritual warfare? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is he not commissioning them to go off and to preach the gospel of peace, to bring people into the gospel, to bring people into a place of peace with God and operating in the kingdom of light? Let's go over here to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. Now look at the things that accompany the preaching of the gospel. Authority. Healing. Protection. Power. Doesn't Jesus make this sound like a weapon? So though this is referred to as the shoes of peace, it is likely better understood as the shoes of preparation or readiness. I don't know that changing the name is going to stick. <laughs> but there is more the shoes of preparation and readiness. What he's telling you is get yourself ready to be a preacher of the gospel of peace. 
Make yourself ready. The Great Commission. Jesus didn't just give that to the fivefold ministry. He gave it to everybody. This is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. This is what we are to do. There is no, no thing, no single thing that disrupts the kingdom of darkness more than when people come in and preach the gospel of Jesus. It disrupted the world so much that people said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Turn the world upside down. Now, how many Christians are hindered in being a witness? And I wrote down some things, and you could probably add some more things to it, but I just wrote down five things that I saw that hinders Christians from being a witness. First off is a lack of knowledge. Well, I don't know enough. I don't understand enough. I don't walk in enough. I, I just don't, you know, people are going to ask me questions about the gospel. If people are going to ask me questions about the Bible, I don't know that I know enough. I don't know that I understand enough to be able to do it. So what should you do? If that's, I mean, that's a, that, isn't that not a hindrance to people? One of the things that they feel intimidated about is if I go out and preach the gospel, they're going to ask me questions. They're going to talk to me about some things and I don't necessarily know if I will have the answers for them. And so there's a, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. How do we go about combating that? Learn and understand. Take in the Word. That's why God put uh, uh, the fivefold ministry into the body of Christ to equip the body to go out and do the work of the ministry. And preaching the gospel is one of the biggest things. So that's one, one thing, lack of knowledge. A second one is personal shortcomings. People will say, well, I would go out and preach the gospel, but, you know, I'm not perfect yet. I got a lot of things, a lot of hang-ups in my life, a lot of things that are wrong in my life. And, well, if I go out and preach to others, they're going to look at me and say, yeah, well, how come you can preach to me, but you're still doing this? And so they feel self-conscious. They feel like I, I, I don't qualify to go out there and to preach because I, I feel self-conscious about that. But you see, if you had on the belt of truth securely uh, fastening the breastplate of righteousness, then that wouldn't be a problem. And you would be able to go out in the shoes of peace and be able to preach this because your personal shortcomings wouldn't be a, be a hang-up. You wouldn't uh, feel like you have to justify your personal shortcomings. You could say, hey, that's right, I got some shortcomings. But I'm not righteous because of what I did. I'm righteous because of what Jesus did. But see, the devil loves to disqualify you on your personal shortcomings. Loves to do that because if he can keep you from going out there and, and preaching, then other people won't hear. And as we saw from what was said in Romans, if they don't preach, if they don't, don't go out, if they aren't sent, if they don't hear, they're not going to believe. Here's the third one. Fear of persecution. A lot of times people don't make, uh, become uh, proclaimers of the gospel of peace because I'm afraid that people will persecute me. People will see me as strange. People will come against me. Maybe I'll lose my job. Maybe I'll lose favor at where I work. Maybe my neighbors will think me as somebody weird. My relatives won't like me. Whatever it might be, they have a fear of persecution that will come upon them. So what you should do? Make preparation. If you remember in the, the letters to the seven churches, God told them, persecution is coming. In other words, get ready. Don't buckle under. Stay with it. Keep going at it. Look at the people in the Word of God. Look at the persecution that came to Daniel. Look at the persecution that came to his buddies. Look at the persecution that came to um, Elijah. Look at the persecution that came to Elisha. 
Look at the persecution that came to Moses. And the list just goes on. Look at the persecution that came and look how they stood up against it because they were prepared. Moses, when he first had the persecution, when he brought out the, the, the command of God, he buckled under. But then he made the preparations that were necessary. He didn't buckle under again. He didn't go that way. Paul, at some point, was probably a little bit more timid. But then he got bold. He said, you're not going to get me to back down anymore. Fear of persecution. Here's another one. Judgmental attitude. We take on a judgmental attitude. And we begin to judge people that are around us for their sin. And so we have an attitude, well, they didn't deserve to get saved. Well, they don't deserve to get spared from hell. No, you still need to go out there and to, and to preach to them. Jonah had an attitude about the people he was being sent to. He had a judgmental attitude. But God sent him in and he basically just said, look, y'all need to get saved or uh, destruction is coming. So they got decided to get saved. That judgmental attitude will keep us out of that. Here's, another, here's a fifth one. Distanced from God's love. We're, we're hindered because I feel, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the love of God in me toward those that are unsaved. God has a great amount of love for those that are unsaved. But if I don't catch the heart of God, if I don't walk in the ways of God, if I don't enter into prayer in a way of worship, if I don't enter into to worship in a way to catch His heart, then I don't have His heart towards the unsaved, and I pick up that judgmental attitude, I feel distance from that love of God and I don't feel that motivation. That's one of the things that will hinder people if they don't have that love of God for the lost. But if you make yourself ready and prepared, you will be a force the enemy has to contend with. You'll be a force. And the shoes of peace, the shoes of peace will take you directly into the enemy's kingdom, the enemy's territory, the enemy's positions, and you will preach the gospel of peace. And you will bring light where there was once darkness. And just like Paul, you will see people that will be converted. Not all of them will stick. Some of them will get swung on over. But that's what Jesus said. If you go into a place and you preach the gospel and they don't receive you, walk out of the city, shake the dust from your feet. And go on to the next one. You just keep on going. Preach the gospel. Preach it. Some places that Jesus went, they didn't receive it. Other places, they did receive it. But the shoes of peace or the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Get yourself ready. Father, I want to get ready for the questions that people will ask of me. I want to absorb as much understanding of your word as I can so that when I go out there and people ask questions and people pointedly ask me, I know I have that confidence that the Spirit of God will rise up in the inside of me and I'll have something to answer them. I'll have something to say to them. I can preach them the message of peace, that we can see the kingdom of Satan that spreads darkness to people, we can spread light. And that would be the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Get yourself ready with this because you're going to be going into places and the number one thing that you need to be able to do is proclaim that peace, proclaim that gospel, that there is peace between us and God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Father, I thank you for the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace that it is a weapon that we use against the enemy that every place that Paul went every place that Peter went they preached the gospel 
Every place that Jesus went, he preached the gospel. Every place that John went, he preached the gospel. They dispelled the darkness that was there, and they brought in the light. I thank you that you will help us to do the same thing. And just as Jesus gave us that great commission to go go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And we thank you that you will be. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.